This is episode 50 of the Popcast. It's because I'm saying 50 weird. Why are you saying I don't like know. that? <laughs> 50. Hello. Welcome to the Popcast, the pop culture podcast from Vernacular. We're your hosts, Maureen and Josh Goldman. Each week, we'll dive into the latest in pop culture with our three regular segments. First, the snack bag, where we cover some smaller stories from the past week. Second, the marquee topic, where we dive in-depth into one pop culture story or event. And third, the teasers, where we give our suggestions for pop culture content you might have missed, but should definitely check out. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back, Maureen. We have reached a milestone in our podcasting career. This is our one-year anniversary of podcasting on the Popcast. We have done 50 episodes, including the one we're doing tonight. And in fact, we recorded our very first episode ever, episode one, one year ago today exactly. I have a picture on my phone that showed up in Time Hop, and here we are one year later, 50 episodes it. down. What do you think? I feel like it's become a normal part of our routine. It really has. I mean, we've done one, I think there were three weeks where we didn't do a podcast, and there were a couple where we had special guests or I did a couple solo, but for the most part, we've done one almost every week for the past year. Yeah. So here are some stats. We are still recording on our bedroom floor for those curious. We've only recorded one episode not on our bedroom floor, and that was when we were on vacation in New York. We recorded on the back porch next to a lake. I believe that was episode eight or nine, something like that. It was really early, yeah. So you can hear crickets outside when we were recording that since we did it in the evening, we have released 50 episodes. And of those 50 episodes, we've recorded and released more than 29 hours of content. That's a lot. Feels like a lot. I mean, that's a that's like 15. You could listen to our voices straight for over a day over a day. So just for our listeners, we have a couple changes coming to our show. As we gear up for our second year and our second season, we're going to have two more Friday episodes coming in the next two weeks. We'll be taking off the week of the 4th of July for some family travel. And when we come back from that, we're going to start releasing brand new episodes on, drumroll please, this isn't that exciting, Monday mornings. Monday! So the first Monday, one... Monday, Monday, na, 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 na. Is that a song? Yeah, it sounds like a I song. I think it's a song. I don't know. It sounds like a real song. And if it's not, you got a hit on your hands. So the first new show back after our break will be Monday, July 15th. Again, we'll have this episode today, and then we'll have two more episodes in June on Fridays. And then starting Monday, July 15th, we're going to start on our new schedule of releasing on Mondays. We might also toy around with some small changes in the format, but more to come on that in the next few weeks. For now, we're going to stick with our format of Snack Bag marquee topic, and teasers. But speaking of that, one little small change that we will have. Our main topic every week has been called the marquee topic since the very beginning of our podcast. And while I thought that this was a clever name that I came up with, it turns out that I may have inadvertently stolen it from another podcast. That podcast is called Script Notes. That's what they call their main topic. I hadn't listened in a while, but I just started listening again, and they started talking about the marquee topic that they were doing. Now, they've been around for eight years now, so we certainly didn't come up with it. So I've realized the error of my ways. I did not intentionally steal that from them, but beginning next week for our second season, the marquee topic will henceforth 
be known as the premier topic. Okay, Maureen, one little piece of follow-up from last week. Actually, no, no. There's a second piece of follow-up. A couple weeks ago, I reported that I put a hole in the wall attempting to install a new thermostat. There's still a hole in the wall, but Josh, tell them the good news. I successfully installed a new thermostat, a smart thermostat, into our home. It took three separate tries and two different devices. The first one I had to return, the second one, which is a Nest device, is successfully installed in the wall. It appears to be working. I can control it from my phone. I can control it from our Amazon and Google devices. Very exciting. And I just want to say that I feel very accomplished because I was incredibly frustrated about this whole project. And now I feel like I am a certified electrician. Uh, I really hope everything's safe in there. Knock on wood. But no, Josh has done a really good job with this. And I'm really proud of you for sticking with it because yesterday or two days ago, he was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm just taking everything back. We're going to keep our old thermostat. But you persevered and you found one that worked. And I'm really proud of you. Well, I did take it back. And then when I was in Home Depot returning it, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to pick up another one and give it a shot. And it worked out. Maureen, another piece of follow-up. This one, a little bit more interesting for our audience, I think. Last week, we named the song Sucker by the Jonas Brothers as our pick for the 2019 Song of the Summer. You have since watched the Amazon documentary about the Jonas Brothers called Chasing Chasing Happiness. Happiness. Mm -hmm. Give the people what you thought about the documentary. I loved it. Um, I think I said on last week's episode, I'm not a Jonas Brothers fan. I mean, like I never listened to them when they were cool because I think I was a little too old. I just wasn't, they weren't on my radar. So I I don't know the Jonas Brothers. I think had there been a Backstreet Boys documentary like this, I would have lost my little mind. As a recent fan, someone who likes Sucker and has become more interested in them, I really liked the documentary. I think that it was enjoyable. It's free on Amazon Prime, so you should definitely check it out. They do a good job of giving each brother time on their own, except for poor Frankie, who is the littlest Jonas, the missing Jonas. They call him the bonus Jonas, actually. He's much younger than the other brothers, and he wasn't in the band. But I would have liked an interview with him, too. That would have been fun. Anyway, uh, I think they do a good job of being fairly candid and interviewing each brother. And it was interesting for me to see, you know, hear them talk about their fame when they were younger, because I didn't know a lot of that and how hard they really had to work in the beginning. So I think it's definitely worth the watch. What I will say is that this is a movie that's produced by them. You know, this isn't like... Like, I think they had a hand in ultimately, like, reviewing it and crafting the final product. So you get some moments that are, like, really raw and candid. But overall, they're telling their own story here. So that's just something to keep in mind as you're watching. Warren, we just have two quick snack bag topics this week before we move on to our final named marquee topic of the season. The first snack bag topic, I saw this clip online. It was making its rounds. Basically, Gwyneth Paltrow, the founder of Goop, was on a show that stars John Favreau, the director who has appeared in movies like Rudy, and he also directed Iron Man. He's has a small role in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he has this show where they cook and, and do things, and Gwyneth Paltrow was on this show with him. I think it's an online show only, something like on Facebook or YouTube or something like that. Anyway, she was on the show called The Chef Show, and they were just sort of bantering back and forth. And John Favreau said something like, hey, you know, remember that one time we were in Spider-Man Homecoming together? And Gwyneth Paltrow just stops and says, no, I I wasn't in Spider-Man. And he goes, no, no, we were. She's like, I was in the Avengers. (laughs) And I heard someone describe this as it's like she'd practice. Like, I know that I'm in the Avengers, but I'm not sure I'm in anything else. And basically, she'd forgotten that she had a small scene in Spider-Man Homecoming. I just thought this was really funny. Now, in her defense, 
she's a big star, so she probably filmed a bunch of scenes at once and yeah, didn't know on. what they Isn't were going to Isn't she getting be. residuals checks for Spider-Man Homecoming? Like, she's probably made a cool mill at least. I mean, maybe she's just getting checks from Disney, but I just thought it was funny because she clearly had no sense that she, was, she appeared in this movie that was a really big movie. I mean, she remembered she was in Avengers, but she had no concept that she was in Spider-Man. I just thought it was funny. I think it's interesting because it's like, that's her job. So it's not like oh my gosh, that was an amazing experience. Like, who knows if she even watched the movie? Which probably, probably she didn't. This is like how Josh gets mad that I don't listen to our own podcast. But I'm like, I just talked to you about it. I don't need to listen to the whole thing again. We we lived that moment. Yeah, but you don't you don't hear it edited together. I do a good job editing I it out. I know you do, editing, but I trust edit, you. I'm going to edit that out. Edit, editing, I can't even <laughs> say the word. Anyway, it's just interesting. It's like, it's, I imagine someone being like, oh yeah, that's when we worked on like X project together at X client site. And she's like, oh, I don't think I remember doing that. But it's like a major motion picture. Yeah, so. I think it, you're you're right. It probably is like that for her. It's just her job. But for us, it seems much bigger than that. So it's as if like, how could you forget something it so big? Wasn't that long ago? Like this isn't like something she worked on when she was. It was 20. two years like, ago. Come on, come on, G Dog. Yeah. All right. Our second and final snack bag topic this week: the Frozen Two full trailer was released. First, just your initial impressions on the trailer. Mine were, it looks fine. No, it looks weird. I have to say, the weird thing about the trailer is, and I didn't really remember this, but the main narrator of the trailer is this like little troll rock guy who I guess had a role in the first Frozen film. Yeah, f- fixer. Don't they sing fixer upper? So she's a little bit of a fixer upper. I don't remember that at all. I have no recollection engaged. of that song. Was I in Frozen and I just don't remember <laughs> it at all? So... My recollection when you reminded me that this was a character from the previous film is that he's sort of like this bit character and now he's like the main narrator of the trailer. It's kind of weird. If you remember in the first film, I think the trolls are the ones who give her her power. Uh, Or like there's something with like the when she gets her power. Oh, she has her power, but then the troll, when she accidentally like freezes Anna, the trolls unfreeze her or something. So they're like mystical. But now there's this weird like giant rock creature that it appears she has to fight. And why did the whole thing start in the ocean? That I don't seems know. like a complete Here's what I here's what I really want to talk about with with this trailer. It's been 6 years since the first Frozen movie came out. Does anybody still care that Frozen 2 is coming out? Are people going to flock to the box I office? I think little girls everywhere will Yeah, flock but think about this. Office. The people who are really into Frozen They're 12 now. They're still going to go. Really? I yeah. I think it might we we might almost be on the next group of people. Now, that being said, it, it's probably still making its rounds for families on DVD or Blu-ray. For people to now have a four-year-old, I'm sure that they watch Frozen. And just because it, it didn't come out yesterday doesn't mean that that four-year-old knows that. I don't know. I have a feeling that this movie, which is coming out later this year, is just not going to do as well as the previous installment did. I mean, the previous one was humongous. And that one had, of course, the famous song, Let It Go. I don't know. I just don't think that this is well, going to... the sequels never do as well. Depends. Probably not usually Name box office-wise. Name a Disney wise. musical sequel that was better than the first that one. That is so specific. Well, that's what this is. What Disney musical has had a sequel? There's Lion no... King. Did that even come out Toy in Toy Stories had like 12. Yeah, that's not a musical. You've got a friend in okay, me. Okay, there was a song in Toy Story. It's not like you Woody and Buzz. you got a friend in me. We're singing songs. All right, well, we'll see in December or November when it comes out how much money it actually makes. I think that will do it for our final snack bag of season one in our 50th episode. Before we move on to our marquee topic, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. 
Do you ever listen to an episode of the Popcast and think, man, I'd love to give podcasting a try? Or maybe you think to yourself, that Josh, he's a hack. I could do my own show about pop culture. I'd want to keep Maureen, though. She's great. Well, I've got good news for you. Anchor, the very platform we use for the Popcast, is the easiest way to make a podcast. Their platform is super simple to use and gives you everything you need to make your show in one place, either on your phone or on your computer. And the best part? It's completely free to use. They have the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast, and they'll take care of distribution so you can make your voice heard everywhere from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts and more. You can also make money from your podcast, and get this, there is no minimum listenership required to start making money. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, back to the show. All right, for the marquee topic this week, we are talking about the same topic we spoke on on our very first episode ever, the Tony Awards. Last year, of course, we talked about the 2018 Tony Awards. This year, we're going to talk about the 2019 Tony Awards. This year's awards aired on CBS this past Sunday from Radio City Music Hall in New York. The show was hosted by James Corden, and the big winners for the night were the musical Town, which won eight trophies, including Best Musical, and The Ferryman, which took home four awards, including Best Play. The show had a really small number of viewers, just five and a half million people watched the Tonys this year, and by comparison, the Oscars had 29.6 million viewers, and even that was considered low for an award show. So the first thing I want to talk about is... What was your overall thought on the show? Was it entertaining? Did you like it? I mean, we're theater people, so we might have a slightly different opinion, but... Yeah, I thought the show was entertaining. I haven't seen any of these plays and musicals, so that was a little bit hard. And I think that as I'm thinking, like, trying to distill my my thoughts on this, it's more like movies are more accessible. Anyone can see them. You don't have to go to New York to see one of these shows or find like a national touring company. So even us having a large appreciation for the theater, we still weren't able to see any of these shows. And I had never even heard of Hades Town. I don't do a ton of research on Broadway plays, but like it hadn't even like come up in like Friends of Friends or Word of Mouth or anything. I think the shows all looked really great. Like I enjoy watching the Tony Awards because I like when they perform live. It's like you get to see a bit of Broadway without having to be in New York. So I enjoyed the show. But I think it's hard for people to relate to it because it's such a small audience already. And it's unless you go to New York and see a Broadway show, you really can't participate. And when you go and do that, you don't see all of them. So, like, it's hard to get people involved in this. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And one of the things that I was reading about it is that Broadway is pretty expensive. And James Corden addressed this in his opening number about, you know, get up off the couch and go see a show. But it is expensive. I mean, a Broadway ticket, the cheapest one probably still costs 80 to $100. And you're sitting really high up. And to your point, you're not even seeing more than one show. usually. And if you don't live in New York, you also have to pay to get there and stay there. Right. I mean, they did mention, though, that 15 million people had gone and seen Broadway shows. And that's pretty good. That was like the highest attendance they've had in years, maybe ever, actually. I think the point... It's probably because of Hamilton, don't you think? I mean, it's partly because of Hamilton. There are a lot of very popular shows. I mean, Wicked is still playing. The Lion King is still playing. I mean, there are a lot of shows that families will go see when they're in New York just because they want a Broadway experience. They're probably not going to see something like Town, but they are seeing Hamilton and Wicked and The Lion King. One of the things that was interesting about the point that Broadway is a really expensive venture is that a lot of concerts 
costs more than a Broadway ticket now. So if you're thinking about seeing a pop concert, for example, or your favorite rock band, it can be as expensive or more expensive. But they come to your city. That's true. That's a good point. But just in terms of cost alone, you know, it's not pricing people out if they are willing to pay for something like a concert they could probably afford to go see one show totally, on Broadway. Totally, but you're still going to see one show. You're not going to see like all of the Oscar-nominated films like we try to do because those tickets are $10, you know? Yeah, you could see all the Oscar-nominated films for less money than it would cost to see two Broadway shows. I think that the show itself was okay. I think this is a good transition into James Corden as the host. Yeah. I thought he was okay. I thought that the opening number was pretty bad, actually. Oh, I liked it. It was he- fine. The, it was like an original song that they wrote about watching watching things live and how exciting that was. But then partway through, he just started talking about how great TV was. And it was, you know, he is a TV late night show host. So I could see why that's the case. I thought his best moment was this song he did called James in the Bathroom, which is a parody song it was hilarious. of a song called Michael in the Bathroom from a musical that's currently on Broadway called Be More Chill. And the song included him. I didn't even know that. Well, I thought it was. I thought they just wrote another funny song. Apparently, no one really knew that. And the writer of the show, Be More Chill, came out on social media the day after and was like, hey, just so you know, that was a parody of a song in our show. No one really gave them credit during the Tony broadcast. And then after the fact, James Corden and Sarah Bareilles and Josh Groban, who were also in this little skit, they came out and said, oh, yeah, be sure to see the original show and and support them it was it was kind of a weird weird. backtracking thing but that was definitely the best moment of his hosting i think the rest was just kind of strange like he did this whole thing about trying to start feuds between people because that's what really sells tickets thought that was a little bit overwrought it wasn't really that interesting i mean he's a fine host he's pretty affable and he's pretty outgoing but i thought he was just okay yeah it's tricky i mean they picked him likely because he is like a comedian and has his own you know late night show on cbs but he's which is also where this done singing roles he was in into the woods the movie and and he's won a tony he was in a play that was on the west end and then it came over to wow good for him to the broadway and he won a tony he actually beat out big time performers like philip seymour hoffman the year that he won his tony which was a big shock well then i take back what i was gonna say which was like he's not really a part of that community to me but well I guess he's he not is. currently he's done one show that i know of on broadway he's not really a part of the broadway community and his late night show tapes in la so he's not even in the new york I scene i want them to have a host that's like a broadway legend like audrey mcdonald or kelly o'hara well it's interesting the people they've experimented with in the past you know last year's hosts were sarah Bareilles and josh groban they were not great as hosts of the show they've used neil patrick harris before and he's been great but he's done a lot of stuff on broadway and he's sort of a song and dance man same with hugh jackman another person who's done broadway won a tony is a song and dance man i think that those kind of people are the most effective hosts for a show that is rewarding broadway performances did you like overall like find in watching it enjoyable yeah i thought so i think what's interesting about and and we can segue to our next question which is talking about our favorite performance but i think it's a mixed bag of what you're getting from the the people who are performing so typically they have performances from every nominated musical or musical revival typically they do not have performances anymore from nominated plays though they did have one exception this year because it was a musical focused that was my favorite performance but i think that they're missing something there i really think that they should have scenes from some of the plays why don't they 
It would be just as entertaining. I think they the the thought is that it's easy to get invested in one song from a musical. It's harder to get invested in three or four minutes of a scene that might not make sense out of context. Yeah, but you can just have instead of giving an overview of the play, you can give an overview of the scene. Like before we see this, we see you know angry father and and young son, and they're about to have a confrontation. Like let's listen in, right? I mean, I think I I would have been interested to see a scene from the play that won best play, The Ferryman. I think part of the other problem is that since play typically have a shorter shelf life on Broadway. Some of the people who were in the original cast have since left, and some of the shows aren't even open anymore. So it's harder to get the cast together to perform. So you mentioned your favorite performance was from one of the nominated plays. It was called Choir Boy. All right, phone's out, 30 minutes, call home. I... Here, rocking in the land, rocking in the land, and ringing the bells. I hear rocking in the land, rocking in the land, and ringing the bells. Headmaster, may I use the school phone? Of course, David. Go right ahead. I know, oh my lord, rocking in the land, rocking in the land, and ringing the bells. I know, oh my lord. Can you talk a little bit about what you liked about it? It featured African-American spiritual music, um, like gospel music, but more songs that had been passed down generations to generations. The playwright did a brief description of it, um, and then we saw it. So basically, it was all a cappella. It was a group of um, young men who were portraying boys in like a boarding school type situation, and they were singing and they were step dancing in this you know, traditional style. And it was so powerful and so compelling and really well done. And to hear people's voices and and hear like rhythmic beats and watch them like put everything they had into it, it was just so pure to me. Like there was no, you know, it wasn't trying to be anything else. It was really just trying to show those traditions of that type of dancing and, and those songs. And I just, I really liked it. Yeah, I think my favorite performance was the one from Town. I knew nothing about any of the nominated best musicals. And the song that they sang from Town was just really catchy to me. How to get to Town? You have to take the long way down through the underground, under cover of night, laying low, staying out of sight. Ain't no compass, brother. Ain't no map, just a telephone wire and a railroad map. Keep on walking and don't look back till you get to the bottom line. Wait for me, I'm I've since gone back and listened to it a couple times on Spotify. I'd really be interested to see the show. In fact, of the nominated musicals, it's the only one that piqued my interest in terms of maybe wanting to see it on stage. It looks very stage. original. Yeah, it's based, like a, it was a based total on... total departure. It's not, it doesn't look derivative of anything to me. Right, which is interesting because it's based on Orpheus, Greek mythology. Right, Eurydice and yeah. Orpheus. Yeah, and, and Hades. And I think that what's interesting about the show is that it was based on a concept album by a singer-songwriter named Anais Mitchell. She then brought that to Broadway, and they sort of conceived it into a show. And it looked like it was something that would be really interesting to see on stage. So I guess that the last thing that I want to talk about here is, do you think that the Tonys, based on their low viewership on CBS, do you think that they're going to continue to do the show 
in the same way for years to come? Or are they going to have to make changes? Are they going to cut it down to an hour or two hours? Because already they've started to cut out awards. They present them during commercial breaks and then show the recipient giving their speech when you come back from commercial, which is actually something that the Oscars considered doing last year to a lot of critical backlash. The Tonys have been doing it for a long time. I just feel like they're going to have to keep shortening the show. I mean, Either it's, that or they're going to have to increase engagement. I don't know how they're going to change the number of people. They're, I don't know how they're possibly going to increase the number of people who watch the show. I mean, you're already trying to reach a pretty target audience of people who care about theater. And then you're asking them to sit through a three-hour show when they might not know anything about anything that's been nominated. How do we get uh, the New York's Broadway performances into more people's homes? Maybe it's like you can't watch a whole play online, but maybe it, it's like they stream like one major song from each one or one major scene from each one. And people can, you know, I mean, they're going to have to think about this, but times are changing, you know, like I don't think we should compromise, like going to see live theater is a wonderful cultural experience, but is there a way to kind of digitize some of it? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, it'll be interesting. I think that they will eventually opt to shorten the show. They'll probably make it two hours instead of three or even maybe down to an hour and a half. And by shortening the show, they might be able to attract people for that shorter amount of time. I don't know what that will mean for the actual show itself, because they're certainly not going to be able to show all of the presentation of all the awards. But I don't know. We'll see come next year what they decide to do to make changes. Anything else on the Tony Awards? Next year when we review it, it'll be our two-year anniversary. Wow. What? Maureen, do you want to kick us off with your teaser for our 50th episode. Yes. So I think I mentioned on an earlier episode, though I have no idea which one of the 50, well, not this one, so which one of the 49, that I I don't have like a favorite book, right? So I've been asking people like, what are your favorite books of all time? And my sister-in-law had told me that she loved The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And I just finished reading it this week. I actually started it and finished it this week. It took me like five days of like reading at night after work. I actually started reading it poolside, which was very relaxing. I loved this book. And I know Kathy and my brother Kevin really like it too. I was so glad for the recommendation. We just happened to have it on our bookshelf. I read it and I loved it. And it's basically a story about a boy named Santiago, who is a shepherd boy who goes on in search of like his treasure and follows his personal legend but there's a lot of symbolism in there and it's just this beautiful story of kind of getting in touch with yourself and with your spirituality and what that means to you and following your life for your own personal legend and not giving up when there are obstacles I'm not doing it justice this book is magical to read and I think it will mean different things to everyone who reads it and I think it will also mean different things to you based on where you are in your life or what you're currently struggling with. But I really loved it and it's an easy read. So I would say grab The Alchemist this summer, read it and let me know what you think and if it was something that you found as moving as I did. Honey, what was your teaser this week? My teaser this week is a Twitter story that sounds too good to be true, but the person who wrote it on Twitter assures readers that it is a true story. So this Twitter user and author... He only goes by the name Sixth Form Poet. That's his Twitter handle, too, and that's his writing name. He wrote a series of three stories, 10 tweets each, on Twitter. I'm going to read the first one in its entirety. 
to you here. I was going to just tell you what the story was that he was he was telling here, but it's so short, I thought it would be worth just reading it to you. You can then go read the other two stories that he wrote on Twitter as well. They're equally as good. Okay, so the story goes like this. My dad died. Classic start to a funny story. He was buried in a small village in Sussex. I was really close to my dad, so I visited his grave a lot. I still do. I always took flowers, and my mom visited a lot, and she always took flowers, and my grandparents were still alive then, and they always took flowers. My dad's grave frequently resembled a solid third place at the Chelsea Flower Show. Nice, but I felt bad for the guy buried next to my dad. He never had flowers. Died on Christmas Day, age 37. No one left him flowers, and now there's a pop-up florist in the grave next door. So I started buying him flowers. I started buying flowers for a deceased man I'd never met. I did this for quite some time, but I never mentioned it to anyone. It was a little private joke with myself. I was making the world a better place, one bunch of flowers at a time. I know it sounds weird, but I came to think of him as a friend. I wondered if there was some hidden connection between us, something secretly drawing me to him. Maybe we went to the same school, played for the same football club, or whatever. So I googled his name, and ten seconds later, I found him. His wife didn't leave him flowers, because he'd murdered her. On Christmas Day. After he murdered his wife, he murdered her parents, too. And after that, he jumped in front of the only train going through Balcombe Tunnel that Christmas night. That was why no one ever left him flowers. No one except me, of course. I left him flowers. I left him flowers every couple of weeks. Every couple of weeks for two and a half years. I felt terrible for his wife and her parents. Now, I wasn't going to leave them flowers every couple of weeks for two and a half years, but I did feel like I owed them some sort of an apology. I found out where they were buried, bought flowers, and drove to the cemetery. As I was standing at their graves mumbling apologies, a woman appeared behind me. She wanted to know who I was and why I was leaving flowers for her aunt and grandparents. Awkward. I explained and she said, okay, that's weird, but quite sweet. I said, thanks. Yes, it is a bit weird. And oh God, I asked her out for a drink. Incredibly, she said yes. Two years later, she said yes again when I asked her to marry me because that is how I met my wife. So that is the end of the story. He writes two more stories that sort of connect to this one, and I won't spoil those. You have to read them, you guys. Go to his Twitter, Sixth Form Poet, and they are his most recent tweets. Go check them out. Maureen, I think that will do it. Congratulations on 50 episodes. Here's to 50 more. Thanks to our listeners. We love all of our listeners. And we'll be back soon with our next episode. You can leave us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash popcast. We would love to hear from you and would especially love to hear what you want to hear about on the show. You can also reach us by emailing thepopcast at vernacularpodcast.com. Please also subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We put out a new one every Friday, and if it's not too much trouble, please drop us a rating or a review. It helps other people find our show. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode. I think it's yours, Josh. I think it's yours. I don't I remember. I never purchased it. I didn't purchase it. Well, it magically, magically appeared. it appeared. Did we forget we purchased it? No, it's it? like a well-worn book. Did we write The Alchemist and forget? <laughs> I don't know.